40 news and bad news, and I think I'm hopefully being helpful to you. We have 41 sleeps until Christmas Eve. That means that you have 40 days to find the perfect gift. And if you're a last-minute shopper, you have 41 days. Okay, none of you ladies, you're, that's not you, right? Right? I don't think so. Okay, guys, you have 41 days to find the perfect gift. I'm actually sometimes a last-minute shopper. Gifting can be really hard, right? How do you find that perfect gift for that really picky person, I mean particular person in your life? Or how do you find the perfect gift for the person who already has everything? Or how do you find the perfect gift for somebody like my dad or my father-in-law who just buy the tools that they need in the garage for themselves anyway? Sometimes we get it right, though. We think we have found the perfect gift. We've paid attention to somebody. We think we really know them well. And we are on the edge of our seat waiting for the glow of, oh, this is the best gift I've ever received. And you're sitting on the edge of your seat, and you're waiting, you're waiting, you're waiting. And then, oh, a bacon air freshener. Awesome. I really do love all things bacon. I didn't know they made bacon air fresheners. Thanks. Well, that's what I could have done a couple of years ago when I was giving a gift to my friend Tom, who loves all things bacon. And I've paid attention. I shared an office next to him. And I listen and I watch him at our staff breakfast eating all the bacon and eating all the leftovers. And so I'm listening. I know him and I bought him pounds and pounds of different flavors of bacon. And I bought him bacon socks, and I bought him a bacon ornament to put on his Christmas tree, and I pumped the brakes at the bacon air freshener because it was actually on the list of 25 things not to buy as a gift that year. So how do we know when we know somebody, though? How do we know? Nowadays, it's even more difficult because of our mobility. We live further away from people that we buy gifts for, or maybe we don't spend as much time with somebody that we buy gifts for, and so then we'd resort to the list, right? I'm waiting. Any day now, I should get the text from my brother and sister-in-law that will say, do you have a list for the kids for Christmas? Do they have a list? And so we've resorted to that. I really, really wish that I could do a better job of gifting because I know somebody so well. I've been around them. I've paid attention to what they love and what they like and, and how they spend their time and what is important to them. But the challenge is really knowing somebody that well. And how do we know? What does it really mean to know somebody well? How do you get to know somebody well? And if you know somebody well, does that mean that you are in a relationship with them? If you know somebody, does it mean that you're in a relationship with them? This morning we're going to turn to 1 John ver, uh, chapter 1, verse 3. In the Blue Bibles, it's on page 1021, way, way towards the back. 1 John chapter 1 gives us an idea, some insight into God's desire to be in relationship with us. In your blue Bibles, page 
1021. 1 John chapter 1, verse 3. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. One verse. It seems like not much, but it's packed with some pretty important implications. John is writing in the first, to the first century Christians because there are false teachers in the area, and these false teachers are challenging their faith and what they know about God and Jesus Christ. So he's coming alongside them in a very tender, pastoral type of tone, and he's giving them reassurance, and he's strengthening them by reminding them of what they do know about Jesus and, their, and his father. He's reminding them that Jesus came to disclose the truth of God, to deal with the sins of the world, to teach, and also to demonstrate what it means to be a Christian and what it means to live like a Christian, like a follower of Christ. Verse 3 begins by saying, That which we have seen and heard we proclaim to you. The we are the apostles. So John is including himself. He's speaking as a collective we, sharing what they have experienced, both seen and heard, and what they know to be true about God and Jesus Christ. John wanted his fellow Christians to remember what they too know about God, and he's reminding them that God is near to them. We often need this reminder too, I think. At this very moment, at this very moment right now, God is above all things. He is present in the entire universe, and he is dwelling in the hearts of those who have come to Jesus and trust him as Savior. Knowing that God is always near means that he is actually knowable. And he desires for us to know him. When somebody is near you, it allows you to know them. God is relational. When I was eight years old, um, the big royal wedding happened. And I don't really remember watching Prince Charles, Mary, Diana Spencer. I don't remember watching the wedding on TV. But I do remember seeing clips and things on the news and on TV, and I remember being in grocery stores and seeing all of the pictures of this beautiful princess in this beautiful wedding gown. And it was truly like a fairy tale coming true. We were watching it unfold. And since that time, I remember just being enamored by her. I would, I would look at all of the magazine covers and later, I would read a lot of the biographies about her and her life. And I probably have watched most documentaries about her and her life and her death. And if there was a category in Trivial Pursuit called the royal family, I probably could have won at some point in time. Trivial Pursuit was not an easy game back then in the 1980s. But I knew, and I knew a lot about her. I could recite things, I could tell you things about her past and her wedding and 
all of those types of things. But I didn't really know her. I knew about her, I knew of her, I knew facts about her, but I didn't actually know Princess Diana. But I would have loved to. If we read the Bible and we attend church, if we memorize scripture, if we volunteer, if we give generously, does that mean that we know God? What does it take to actually know somebody? You actually have to spend time with somebody. When two people intentionally spend time together, getting to know each other really well, we would consider them being in a relationship. They're working toward knowing each other well. God wants us to be intentional about our interaction with him and the time that we spend with him. He already knows every single thing there is to know about each and every one of us. What is it that we know about him? Do we know him the way he would like us to? Do we know him in a deep and meaningful way? He wants us to know him because he is relational. The God of the universe is relational. The God that created everything in the universe is relational, and he wants to be close to us, and he wants a relationship with us. He is near. We see this all over in Scripture. God is near, and he wants his nearness to be known that it gives us access to him. His nearness makes him knowable to us on a personal level. It's his attributes that help us to understand what it means for him to be near. Verse 3 continues in the middle. It says, so that you too may have fellowship with us. The truth and understanding of God and Jesus Christ isn't just, wasn't just for John and the other apostles. It was also what they shared with those first century Christians that John was writing to. It's what brought them into fellowship together. We are in fellowship together. Our faith in God and the Lord Jesus Christ brings us together in fellowship at Timberwood Church. The building, the physical building of Timberwood Church is not the church. We are the church. When we go back to first century and you hear us talking about and we refer to the first century Christians or the first century church, we're not talking about a building in the first century. We're actually talking about the people. The people were the church. They were in fellowship together. We are drawn into fellowship with one another because we have a desire to know God and be near him we also have a desire to participate in his will for the world around us. So what is it that draws us to God? And what makes him so near and accessible to us? It's two attributes. He is transcendent and he is imminent. He is both present in this world and beyond it. So how should we understand transcendence like this? He is distinct. He is separate and above all of his creation. And Stanley Gens, 
Grenz says, God is self-sufficient apart from the world. He is above the universe and comes to the world from beyond. In other words, he doesn't need anything from the universe that he created in order for him to be sustained or in order for him to exist. He is beyond all things. Often when we think about God being above all things, we think about him being up, above. So we'll say, the guy upstairs. Or we think of him as being up in heaven. And the reality is, he's everywhere. He's in all things. In medieval times, God's transcendence was emphasized and influenced um, and it influenced the architecture of the great Gothic beautiful cathedrals. Their ceilings were high and beautiful, and what it, do, what it did was it drew everybody's eyes up. Oftentimes when you go into a cathedral, you'll see these beautiful paintings, and we're drawing our eyes up. I realize that oftentimes when I'm worshiping through music, I'm, lift, I'm up, often. If Christians around the globe are pointing up, it places him in the direction of everywhere. Think about it. If we're pointing up to God being above all things, and those, of, those Christians in China or Australia or Europe, Hawaii, the tops and the bottoms of the earth, if they're all pointing up, God being above, he's out and he's above all of it. So that gives us a little bit of perspective. I think God's transcendence explains why his nearness is so amazing. The God of the universe wants to be known, and he makes himself accessible to us. His imminence is what makes this possible. Imminence, there's another word that sounds like it, imminent. And we're not talking about imminent because that describes something that is coming quickly. It's going to happen although that word can sometimes describe what is happening in our Christian faith. But imminent define, is defined as being within the limits of possible experience or knowledge. Being within the limits of possible experience and knowledge, it means it is possible to experience something and it is possible to have knowledge. While God is transcendent above all things, he's also knowable because he's present and active in his creation. He is within the limits of possible experience and knowledge. It has been possible to experience the imminence of God throughout the history of mankind. We saw it when we were looking at the, or studying through the book of Esther. There were circumstances, situations, opportunities that only God could have orchestrated in order to deliver the Jews from annihilation. For example, Esther, while hiding her Jewish identity, became the queen. Mordecai was in the right place at the right time and overheard a plot to kill the king. We referred, we referred to this that in the book of Esther as the providence of God, meaning that the world is not ruled by chance. 
God works in and through his creation to draw us to himself. This idea of imminence has created this new industry also, like this idea of experiencing um, the possibility of experiencing and having knowledge of something. So we see um, museums and art museums and these experiences where we're immersed in something. Like I remember when we went to, um, we took our kids to the Mall of America and we did the Crayola experience. A lot of these things are called experience, right? So the kids go in and they get to do all the things with Crayola crayons and they get to make Crayola crayons and label and they name their own um, crayon. And then you have things like in art museums um, where Monet is on display and they have this, this immersion type of experience where somebody sits in a room and a picture, it's like we're in, inside of one of Monet's paintings. We're literally sitting in it, which means it's projected on the floor and above us and all around us. So it's this idea of immersing. I also read about these experiences, like um, it's called the Friends Experience. <laughs> I thought this was funny because my 20-year-old is um, now watching the reruns of the Friends, like all, all, all seasons of it for like the third time. I'm like, don't you, could you empty the dishwasher or something? <laughs> like, honestly. But there's this friends experience now. Like you literally go into this, like the, what the set of friends, the apartment was, and you can walk around and you can be, you immerse yourself into that setting. It's like experiencing what it is to be a friend in the show. Another thought about this is that we have these opportunities to get in and close to animals like the shark experience. Have any of you ever swam with the sharks? I don't know why you would, but yeah, Mark, you have. Awesome. And I'm, you're still here to talk about it. But think about those immersion, those, Im those things that immerse you into experience so that you can have a full understanding, be with those sharks and understand their nature and how they move through the water and how they see you, how they see you. <laughs> How they see you as their lunch, maybe. What we know about God and our faith in him is what brings us together in fellowship. This is what brings us together in fellowship with him. His imminence allows us to know him and experience him. That's fellowship. We can spend time with him. The end of verse 3 says, And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. What does it mean to be in fellowship with God? For us, we can come together, right? We're here this morning, we're in fellowship, but what does it mean to be in fellowship with God? The Life with God Bible, this is one of my new favorite um, Bibles that I have found and it is, um, it's a study Bible that focuses on spiritual formation. And the study part of it is written by Richard Foster, Dallas Willard, Walter Brueggemann, and Eugene Peterson. And so these four gentlemen are very focused on and intentional about giving us 
opportunities and practices and disciplines that will bring us into the fellowship, into the presence of God. And so here's what they say about what fellowship is. Engaging with other disciples in the common activities of worship, study, prayer, celebration, and service, which sustain our life together and enlarge our capacity to experience more of God. So what is it that we can do that will help us to experience more of God, be in fellowship with God? How do we experience his nearness in a really personal way? Well, since we're talking about Christmas coming, Advent starts in two weeks. And for four weeks, Advent is intentionally prepared, presented as an opportunity for us to be reflective through worship and prayer and other practices that are meant to remind us of the true meaning of Jesus' birth. Not just birth into the world that he was born into at that time, but what does it mean that Jesus was born for us in our, our world today? What is the implication of that? The implication, when we profess our faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and as our personal Savior, we receive his Spirit. And it is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that allows us to experience the imminence of God like in no other way. People experience the presence and the activity of God in different ways. You may hear an audible voice. I have talked to people who have said that they actually hear a voice. It may be that you have a feeling, a visceral type of response. It could be um, chills or like a little electricity running through you. It could be a lump in your throat or a, something in your belly. Or maybe, maybe you hear him or you feel him speaking through a song or a prayer or another person. Regardless of how we experience him, he's near us and he's knowable and we can experience him and be in fellowship with him. We are called to corporate engagement. We're called to fellowship with one another. Our fellowship is a space for us to also be in fellowship with God, the creator of the universe, at the same time. When we come together in our small groups or divorce care or grief share, when we are sharing a, Sunday, a story in Sunday school with our kids, whether we're with youth, or we're with the crew cleaning the building on Mondays or Fridays, or we're baking early in the morning on a Sunday. We have the opportunity to draw near. God is in those activities. God is with us. We have the opportunity to be in fellowship and experience the creator of the universe and all of the things that draw us together here in our fellowship in our community of Timberwood Church. It's through this engagement and this interaction 
and the fellowship that we are going to get to know somebody and really develop a relationship. And this is what God wants from all of us. God already knows every single thing there is to know about each and every one of us. And because he does, he's given us the perfect gift, Jesus. He gave us Jesus because he knows us so well that he knew that it is the only thing we could possibly want or need in this entire world. There's nothing else that we need. God wants us to know him, not just know about him or know of him. He's made himself near, which means he is knowable because he wants the deepest connection with each and every one of us. Next week, we're going to have the opportunity to experience and understand the nearness of God in a, really, in a different way, something that we have not done before. Our service is going to be experiencing God and being in fellowship with God through worship. There'll be explanations of songs, but opportunity for the entire service to understand who it is that we are worshiping through music and connecting with him through that music. God wants to be near, and we have opportunities all around us to engage with him and really know him the way he wants us to. Let's pray. Father God, you are the mighty creator of the entire universe, and we come to you confessing that we often allow ourselves to be too busy, too self-absorbed, and too focused on our own things to focus on our nearness to you. Lord, I pray that you would help us to just slow down, make the time and the space to spend time with you. Lord, help us to slow down and pay attention to your presence in the space that we occupy with other people. Lord, I pray that you will continue to make yourself near and knowable to each of us, that you continue to give us opportunity to be in fellowship with you so that we can know you in the deepest level and understand that you are with us always, that you love us and you are for us. And Lord, we want to love you and glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen.